question, a couple questions. Do you struggle in your personal life to know the will of God? Do you desire to hear the voice of God for X, for your career path, for your mate, for your whatever? Do you struggle, though, to hear God's voice and you just wonder, if I'm truly supposed to follow Him and be in line with Him, why does He not make it easier to hear Him? I would probably obey Him more if I simply could just hear what He wanted me to do. But I'm confused, and I'm frustrated, and I'm a little scared. My faith is waning, and it appears that I am deaf to the voice of God. So if you could help me figure out how God could guide me, I would love that. I'm speaking about this because you are not alone. If you answered those questions, yes, I struggle beyond belief to hear the voice. I don't know what God wants for my life. If you're sitting here going, yes, please inform me in the ways to follow the Lord because I'm trying and I'm not doing such a great job. You're not alone. You're not alone. But here's what's interesting. Today I believe that you will find some reprieve from this suffering, but it will come from you choosing to no longer do it alone. There is a concept that is foreign to us. Richard Foster in the book Celebration of Discipline refers to it as corporate guidance. We would use the word spiritual discernment instead of guidance, so let's just make sure we're on the same page. You have been taught to discern God's will, to to seek out wise counsel when you're trying to figure out what God wants for your life, but to bring other people in just sparingly, and they need to be experts in the subject of whatever. But you believe that the burden of discerning the will of God for your life falls squarely upon you and your relationship with God, and we have completely lost the idea, the concept, and the beautiful reality that we do not have to go at this alone. There's a church a body of believers who are all seeking to follow the same Lord and through their humble obedience and through them being able to possibly hear God better than you, they can actually speak the very words of God into your life and help you be guided by Him. Corporate guidance. You letting someone else in here tell you what God is saying to you. And some of you are just like, nope. That mess gets scary. Someone comes up and says, God told me to tell you this. That's called manipulation. I've been broke up with too many times because God told someone else that, (laughs) you know. I'll be very honest with you, church. I was going to save this to the end, but I'll just get it out here in the beginning. In my short existence here on this earth, I have seen this used negatively more than I've seen it used positively. So we quit trying. (laughs) But with pure hearts, we can seek 
the voice of God for our loved ones, for our friends, for our fellow worshipers. We can do that, and God will speak to us. This is how God sought to guide his people way, 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 way back in the beginning. Think about the Israelites, okay? Moses goes into Egypt, pulls the Israelites out of captivity, out of slavery. They're in the desert, and how in the world is he supposed to lead these people? At first, he doesn't have to do a thing. Because God himself led the entire group of people. By day, there was a cloud in the sky. If the cloud moved to the left, they just did this. If the cloud moved to the right, there we go. Moses is just like, just watch the cloud. Just do it. Do. Uh, but what about at night? No problem. Pillar of fire. Biggest nightlight in the history of the universe. Just, all right, where are we going at night? Night travel. Follow the pillar of fire. Don't get too close. But that's, that's how God led his people. It wasn't a group of people who were just heading in the same direction, loosely connected to one another. It was God's people united and theocratically ruled by him. God made all the calls. I'm leading you. You as a people are following me. That's what he desired to do. But what happened is people got a little scared of this. You see, because God's bigger than this buddy, buddy, friend, friend kind of glimpse that we have of him. God is just and mighty and powerful. And when there is a pillar every night and a cloud every day, and when food's just getting dropped in front of your tent, you start to go, I don't know about this. And so the people got scared. And they said this in Exodus chapter 20, 18 and 19. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, Mount Sinai, Moses is up there talking to God. God doesn't just have a friendly conversation. There's lightning and smoke and, and thunder. It's a huge event. When the people down at the base of the mountain saw this, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance, and they said to Moses, you speak to us. You speak to us yourself, and we will listen to you, but do not have God speak to us, or we're going to die. <laughs> Drama, yeah, a little bit. But it was a pillar of fire, after all. You go up in the thunder, you go up in the lightning, you go do the, you go do the work with God, and then you just come back and you tell us what he said, and Moses began the ministry of the prophet. And it worked initially. God, sp or God spoke to Moses, Moses spoke to the people, the people, the people did what Moses said. But after a while, the people stopped listening to Moses. So by default, they stopped listening to God and letting God theocratically rule them. And then if you fast forward a thousand years, eventually the prophet became this exiled nomad who every once in a while someone might listen to, but for the most part, they just beat him and killed him. They're still the mouthpiece of God to God's people, but they don't want to hear God and be ruled daily by God. They want to rule their own life and know that there is a God up there that loves them and will give them bread. Does that sound familiar? But here's the deal. After 2,000 years of ignoring the voice of God, God did something just radical. He sent his son in his own image who came and lived the perfect life and died on the cross and conquered death through the resurrecting power of our Lord Jesus. I mean, it's this beautiful picture of the gospel. Um, but there was something more than just salvation that occurred through the life of Jesus Christ. He left behind his spirit 
And once again, God sought to dwell in the middle of his people and to rule theocratically his loved ones. And he chose to do so no longer by a pillar of fire or a cloud, but by the Holy Spirit. The church is to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit, not by men. Not by one person that hears God and says, here's what we're doing. Everyone on board? But you collectively, because we all have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within us, you you hear God and, and we move, not as a group of people kind of going in the same direction, but as a group of people led by the Spirit to do mighty things for his kingdom and for his purpose. That's what Jesus came to do. In Matthew 18, 19, and 20, a verse that you've probably heard before, let's put it in the context of what we're talking about today, though. Matthew 18, 19, and 20, Jesus says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, that's in prayer, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Of the three times in Jesus' ministry where he promised his people that whatever they ask for in prayer will be done, every time the context is this. If you pray the will of God, it will be yes. If what you ask for is already the will of God, he's just going to say, yeah, that's what I was already thinking. Let's do that. And what Jesus is saying is that when two or more of you gather together and you seek the Lord, if you're in agreement of what God is saying and then you ask for that, it will be done. Because if there's two or three of you gathered, I'm there. So all you have to do is listen. What if we listened? What if corporately we just turned off our own brains, turned off our own filters, turned off our own wants, turned off our own desires, turned off our own junk? What if we just listened and moved? How different would this look? One telltale thing. This would be characterized by immense power. There would be power within this body. When you prayed, it would happen. When we went out to lead and to serve and to give and to minister and to reconcile the world back to Christ, when we did that, we would not be doing so because it's April, it's time to go serve, it's spring No, we'd be doing that because the Lord said, go do it. And when we did it, it'd be powerful. That's what it would look like. These words of Jesus in Matthew 18, they give the disciples both assurance and authority. Those are huge things for the church. There was the assurance that when the people genuinely gathered together in his name, his will could be discerned. If you're struggling, you gather together. The governing spirit would utilize checks and balances. The checks and balances are different believers. One person doesn't get all the say to ensure that when their hearts were in unity, they were in rhythm with the heartbeat of God. If you put 10 people in a room and you can get them all to think and believe the same thing, God was at the center of that. Amen? I mean, come on. You pick any 10 people, even a family, especially a family, you put them all in the room there not thinking the same thing. But if they all agree, you can pretty well be sure that they are beating with the same heartbeat of the Father. The early church, knowing that they had heard the voice of God, they could pray and act with authority, and his will plus their unity equaled power. His will plus their unity equaled power. There are a lot of powerless churches out there because they're either failing to hear the Spirit or they are not united 
Have you been a part of any of those? Are we that? There's two amazing examples of corporate guidance, of corporate unity. The first one is the commissioning or the sending out of Barnabas and Paul. In Acts chapter 13, you can go read this. It's just the first three verses. It said that the community, the believers, had gathered together for prayer and fasting and worship. So they gathered together. We don't know how many were there. Let's assume it was a decent-sized group. And what they were doing was three things, praying, fasting, and worshiping corporately, doing it all together. And then in the midst of that, the Lord spoke to the whole, and the whole said, we need to send out Paul and Barnabas. And that began what would be three missionary journeys for Paul. Yes, Paul was called by Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, but he was commissioned and sent out by the whole as they gathered together, not for a commissioning service. They gathered together for a worship service, and God said, it's time for them to go, and they went, all right, let's roll. Two chapters later in Acts chapter 15, the biggest dividing force that had hit the early church hits them about a decade into their existence. Paul had just finished his first missionary journey. He's back with Barnabas. He's reporting how well the Gentiles had received the gospel. And then he hears this very unsettling news that some people had left Jerusalem. They were Pharisees who had converted to Christianity. And they were going around behind Paul and Barnabas. And they were saying, the gospel's good, but you still need to obey the law. And primarily, you need to be circumcised, you Gentiles who are not circumcised. Half the church believes that what those guys were doing was right. The other half of the church believes that what they were doing was unnecessary. Not even wrong. Just unnecessary. And so what do they do? They gather for the first ever board meeting. Woo! You been in a few of those, anyone? The board meeting's only topic is this. Do we require circumcision for the new Gentiles who are coming into the church? Peter stands up. A Jew his entire life circumcised. The one who'd been called to go into the synagogues and preach the gospel to the Jews. He stands up and he goes, you know what? I've seen the power of the gospel. And there's no room in it for the law. I, I don't think that we need to restrict them to the law any longer because it's powerless to save. We've seen grace through faith save. The law never did that. Um, I think we should avoid this. And so then half the room, of course, is like, uh-uh, that's not what we believe. Then James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he stands up and he says, you know what? Here's the way it's going to be. Someone write this down. We're going to require them only to abstain from sexual immorality and to the eating of food that was strangled for the purpose of animal sacrifice. Everything else is good to go. You've still got half the room that just got told no, that just got told your whole ministry is being shut down. It fell silent in verse 12, and then in Acts chapter 15, verse 28, it said this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. That's how James began his letter to the Gentiles that Paul had converted. Not, we voted, 
and it came out 70-30, so no more law, no more circumcision. We prayed, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond these following requirements, and I've already given you what those were. The early church dared to live on a basis of spirit rule. No vote, no compromise, just spirit-directed unity, and it worked. This isn't a talk about church leadership, but it could be. And it should be. This is a plea to you as a loved child of God to examine your life and to see, are you being led by the Lord? Is he the one governing? Is he the one calling the shots? Is he the one that you're seeking to hear before you move in anything? Let me caution you. Determining to begin living this way tomorrow will only succeed in making you miserable. If you're just like, all right, I haven't done it my whole life, but all right, starting tomorrow at 7 a.m., I am spirit-led. That will only make you miserable and the people around you miserable. Discerning the spirit and living in it takes time, and the key, it takes maturity. You gotta grow in Christ for a little while. You've gotta develop that relationship with him. There's a trust there's an obedience, there's, a, there's an acknowledgement of his grace and his sufficiency, and those are not steps, it's just stuff that comes with time, and as you begin to lay your life down before him, he will begin to take those pieces and to rule them, but not before there's been the appropriate amount of time. But then, you can't just chalk it up as a, well, I guess I'll start this in 10 years. Because you need to seek the guidance of the Lord for all sorts of things in your life. Here's the more practical part of this. There are big things in your life that you need to seek the Lord on right now. For instance, your call or your purpose in life. I believe that God has a plan for all of us. And it is not a plan to harm us, but it is a plan to prosper us. I believe he has that plan. I believe if we seek it first, then that passage in Jeremiah 29 will not apply to us. You're going, what? Go read the context of Jeremiah 29. The people of God had failed to see their call. So Jeremiah is rebuking them and saying, you missed it. God has a plan for you. It's a good and pleasing plan, but it's, you've missed it. We don't, we don't need to take the promise of Jeremiah 29 because I know God has a plan and we need to seek after it. Your call, your purpose, some of you are just drowning and trying to figure out what that is, but you need to seek the Lord in that. Marriage, who will you marry? Do you ever think of allowing God to choose that, not you? I think that would be pretty wise. Your career path, what am I going to do? How am I going to serve? What's my ministry going to be? Should I take this job? Should I not? Is this promotion really? All those things, they need to be laid before the Lord. And then I have to put in there our church leadership. Who will lead? How will we lead? Where will we go? That, that all has to be laid before the Lord. But remember, we're not just talking about you seeking these things. We're talking about you laying those things in front of fellow brothers and sisters who you will ask to corporately guide you as they seek the will of God 
for your life. You're telling me I'm supposed to take my girlfriend or boyfriend and allow my Scoob friends to pray for a week and come back and tell me whether or not I should marry this person or not. You're telling me that. Why not? Why not? If you trust that they're truly hearing the Lord, they may have a clearer path than you because they're not biased. They're not in it over their heads. You're telling me my friends should choose my career path? No. I'm telling you the Lord should choose your career path. And he might use this body to do that. Unity rather than majority rule is the principle of corporate guidance. Spirit-given unity goes beyond a mere agreement. If you ask three people and they come back and they seem to be somewhat in line, that is not unity. The desired result, the perception, is that those people have heard the voice of God and you receive it as such. What they say is not their opinion. It is the Lord. That's heavy stuff. I know that. So how do you do this personally? Well, you seek out spiritual directors. Now, that's an interesting term because we have like, classes now to learn how to be a spiritual director. Everyone has a spiritual director. Um, that, that is a spiritual mentor. This spiritual director, their role is this, and you may want to write this down. The role of a spiritual director in corporate guidance is to simply and clearly lead you to the real director, Jesus. Yes, we all need mature people to speak truth in our lives to help us walk, but a spiritual director in this sense is simply and clearly trying to lead you to the real director, which is Jesus through the Holy Spirit. They are the means of God to open the path to the inward teachings of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual direction is born out of natural, spontaneous human relationships. You don't have to go look on the internet for spiritual directors. They're sitting next to you. What should you look for in a spiritual guide? Write these down. If someone possesses these characteristics, you can trust that they would be suitable as a spiritual guide. The person has a comfortable acceptance of themselves. A comfortable acceptance of themselves. They know who they are. They're not trying to pose. They're not trying to present themselves as anything they're not. They know who they are, and they're okay with that. A comfortable acceptance of themselves. The second thing that you're looking for is a genuine maturity that is evident in all areas of their life. Not just one. They're genuinely mature in every area of their life. That's a huge one. Specifically this, someone who won't settle for the selfishness and mediocrity that is all around them. That's a great, great definition of maturity. Someone who will not settle for the selfishness and mediocrity that is just prevalent in our world. If you've risen above that, you're pretty dang mature. The third thing, someone who is unjudging and unshakable. If you go to them and you're laying some pretty big stuff out, they can't be like, oh, dang. You don't want someone who's shakable by anything you'll tell them, by anything you'll bring to them, and you don't want someone who's going to judge you. Unjudging, unshakable. Number four, you want someone who's compassionate and committed. Here's the best way to think about it. Even if they're younger than you, 
you're basically asking them to take on a form of a parental role. Our society's jacked up. Biblically, your parents should be this for you. Really, e even if you're 60, your parents should still be this for you. They should be your spiritual directors, the one who hears the voice of God on your behalf because they have your best interest in mind, not their own interest, they're mature, they're all this, but I understand that that's not simple anymore. So you need someone who will basically take on a parental role and speak to you as a child because they are. They're speaking the words of God and you're God's children. They're speaking those to you. Number five, they must be willing to speak truth in love, not just tell you what you want to hear. I think that's evident, but who needs a spiritual director that's just going to tell you what you want to hear? That'd be useless. Number six, they need an innate ability to read people and see through conscious and unconscious misleadings. I meet with a lot of people who are trying to seek the will of God, but the biggest hindrance is that they have no idea who they are. They have no idea who they are, that they're seeking the wrong stuff. They're consciously or unconsciously believing mistruths about themselves that this need to be cleared up before they can even start to seek the Lord. So you want someone who has an innate ability to look at someone and know, this isn't the real issue, this is the real issue. And there's people out there that can do that. How in the world do you find these, Todd? Great question. This is going to be overly simple, but it's true. First thing you can do to find a spiritual director that meets these qualifications is you can pray for one. Do you not think that God has someone probably sitting in this room that you don't know, but that's here that could be a director for you? I mean, it's, it makes sense to me. But you can pray for it. Number two, you probably just need to have an openness to hear from your brothers and sisters in Christ. More than likely, they're sitting with you. A third way to find these spiritual directors is realize that there are many forms of spiritual direction. What I'm doing right here in preaching the word of God to you is a form of spiritual direction. My hope is that you can take every word that comes out of my mouth as coming straight from the Lord. That's my hope. I'm not perfect in that, but that's my hope. So listening to good preaching, not just this, but I mean finding that, that's a, that's a way of gaining spiritual direction in your life. It's a way of hearing the Lord. Um, being involved in what we would call a home group, but finding a community of 10 to 20 people that you will do life with, that begin to know who you are, and that in the context of that community, you will feel comfortable and you will know that if you go to them with a need, that they will seek the Lord on your behalf. They will not just give you their own opinion or tell you what you want to hear, but they will seek the Lord and they will be able to come back and tell you what the Lord says in regards to this question in your life. Being in that kind of community really, really takes up the chance of you finding a director in your life. This is too big of a community. But about 10 to 20 people that you're doing life with, that's where you'll really find this. And then finally this, realize that the Bible itself, when read prayerfully and when seeking to align one's life with it and its teachings, that is spiritual direction. If you are just void of anyone who can speak the word of God into your life, then try the word of God. It's pretty clear. Very quickly, there are dangers anytime you seek corporate guidance like this. Number one is manipulation. I told you I was going to save this, but here it is. Leaders impose their own will and the use of guidance as a means to correct your unwanted behavior. 
and they, uh, they use unauthorized systems to bring differing opinions into line. So they, just, they exert their own will, not the will of God. That's manipulation, that's bad. But there's another side that the pendulum swings to because you've seen the manipulation, then we swing to what's called an overprotection and we say corporate guidance is dead, it can't do anything, and we stop allowing the voice of God to speak to us and to lead us through the body out of simply fear of manipulation. So the dangers are manipulation and overprotection. And then finally, the biggest danger is that if anyone guides you or directs you Contrary to scripture, what they are bringing you is not divine. Corporate guidance, guidance of any kind, will always align with scripture. Always. So that's why it's important to know the word. As Nick comes back out here, I just want to read this beautiful paragraph over you, and as we begin to respond. The aim of God in history, the aim of God in history, the desire of God, is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons. We call it his bride, the church. With he himself included in that community, not sitting outside. He is the prime sustainer, and he is the most glorious inhabitant of this community. Such a community will live under the immediate and total ruleship of the Holy Spirit. That's God's desire for us. This beautiful community with him at the middle him sustaining it, loving it. We will live under the complete ruleship of the Holy Spirit. The actions of this community will be guided by him. We as a people will be blinded to all other loyalties by the splendor of God. Basically this, we will leave our agendas at the door for the sake of Christ. This community will be a compassionate community embodying the law of Christ, which is the law of love, because that's what we saw Jesus do. That's a pretty picture of the church. I'll have that. And today as we respond, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it in kind of two parts. The first part is this. Our prayer team will be up front. They're going to have some cards. If there's something in your life that you're seeking the will of God for, I, I want you to do this. I want you to come forward and I want you to allow them to pray over you. I want you to write out what you're seeking the will of God for so that we as a church can pray for you. But these are not your spiritual directors. They are not going to speak the words of God into your life. That would be manipulation. That would be incorrect. So I will not allow that here, even if you ask for it. Like, I trust you, just tell me what to do. Just stop. Let us pray for you and for the guidance that you're seeking. And the second thing that our prayer team members will pray over you is for people in your life to come and direct you spiritually. That's powerful. It's the first step in finding it. So that's part one. And then part two, for those who just get tripped out by the idea of coming up here, which I have no idea why there is fear there. Part two will be led by the screen. Just some prayer points for you to think through, to look at your life and to see, am I truly being led by the Holy Spirit? Am I allowing God to guide and to rule? And then looking corporately, we as a church, are we doing this? It only happens if we as individuals are. 